0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Dapper Villains podcast. I am Dana Bluin, and as always, joined by my co-host, the Latino Jay Such Dave. Jay, what's going on? <laughs> Hola, everybody. <laughs> How you doing, amigo?
1: I'm very good, brother. Now, now Chris is going to think I'm actually Latino.
0: So the reason <laughs> that, that's a joke between Jay and I, someone actually commented in one of the videos like, hey, who's this Latino guy, Jay? <laughs> So, so that is kind of, uh, that's where that comes from. Before we get into our guest today, guys, do not forget to subscribe to the Dapper Villains podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcast. Anywhere you get your podcasts, we are available. Jay, we have a, a very cool guest today that you set us up. You know, he's a British guy, right? Which, you know, I, I, I keep yeah. saying we shouldn't have British guys on because none of our American audience can understand what they're saying. But-
1: <laughs> I so wish they spoke English. Try.
0: they have a funny accent you know so we got uh, christopher moto today uh writes for the rake he's a sartorial specialist real menswear icon so chris thank you so much for joining us
2: thank you for inviting me it's really cool to be here
0: so for our listeners could you just do us a favor and give a quick background on yourself you know how you got into the space what you do what you're into and and let them know
2: yeah, no, certainly. I, um, I have my own consultancy, which is called the Urbane Outfitter, which I've been running now uh, for just over three years. And as part of that, I offer lots of different services as a consultant. So I work with brands looking to do sourcing, looking to do styling. I do some uh, online copy for certain brands. I do some writing for, like you say, the Rake magazine. Style photo shoots. I style lookbooks. Um, I also um, have my own label, which is called Kit Blake, selling uh, men's classic trousers. So I I do lots of different things. Also consult with a luggage company, creative side, um, and I'm also an agent for a a few Southern Italian companies. So it sounds like I'm quite busy.
0: Yeah, it does sound like you're busy. uh, (laughs) (laughs) How do you have time to do this shit podcast? Uh, Well, don't
2: forget it's six o'clock in the morning here, so I, I I don't usually start. I start early. I'm an early riser. I don't usually get up at five o'clock in the morning, but uh, I made a special a special one for this one.
0: Appreciate it. It's it's one p.m. here in Bangkok, so Jay's just getting up. Uh, yeah, he's fine. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> He'll start his day around two, wrap up around three. Pretty yeah, nice.
1: exactly. Pop the
2: champagne. Yeah, hours.
0: So so two yards today. Calls for a
2: party. So <laughs> how did you get involved in the, the sartorial space? Uh, literally old-fashioned way. Um, I have no formal qualifications in anything. I left school fairly young with, with, with basic secondary school education, basic high school education. Did a few small jobs, no, nothing entry-level jobs. Ended up as a shop assistant in a department store called Selfridges. So I was tw- 19, 20 years old, just setting shirts on the shop floor and thought I like this. Always, always loved clothes, hmm. always been obsessed with clothes. I mean, from the earliest memories, I mean from the ages of six or seven, always been very aware of what I was wearing and how it made me feel. But never ever did I see the connection between that and a, and a job. Hmm. So when I left school at 18. I, I I did some banking, supermarket jobs, all sorts of things. And then I got a job as a shop assistant, not, still not thinking this is my career. And I absolutely loved it. I didn't realize how much good fun it was just talking about clothes all day. Um, and I just did the old fashioned way. I spent 10 years on the shop floor, different areas of management, always in the classic English space in the nineties. So uh, traditional shirts, tailoring Savile Row German Street, mm. um, um, And then in my early thirties, um, which I guess was quite old I was taken off the shop floor and given my first head office position as a as a buyer and I loved that I mean that was just like the beginning of my whole new life and I somehow blagged being a buyer into being a designer and saying well that's not the difference <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. how I, that's kind of how I've made my my progression oh, I mean that's a, a very short version of 30 years i Oh, yeah. that's a great I mean, I'm,
0: though. I mean, it's, it's building on skills, right? Doing something you love and, and growing with
2: it. No, no, sure. It's sure. And I get what's really, what's really cool now is because I'm I love, I'm a big, big fan of social media. And I really wish I had it in the nineties. I mean, it would have been out of the stuff I was, you No, know, you could share things, but what I love about social media is that people can re- reach out to you. And I often get guys in their twenties saying, how do I get to do what you do and where do you start and how do you do it? And I'm always happy to give advice and just say I was patient. I let things progress. I enjoyed what I did. I kept, I never stopped learning. I still don't stop learning now. And like I said, I, I never really got into a sexy world until 32, 33. So I, I, I would say to be patient and, and just stay in industry and take every opportunity. I mean, the things I'm doing now, and what I'm probably well known for. Didn't start, I, mean, I never wrote my first article until I was 45, 46. Oh, wow. So, and now I've written probably two dozen articles for The Rake, plus written, write for other magazines. I write for online copy. There are a lot of magazines
1: my, you write for.
2: No, sure, but not until mid 40s. So, wow. I always say to people um, just keep learning. And I, I style photo shoots, and I've styled a couple of brands' lookbooks. I've done a few photo shoots for The Rake. Yeah, when I worked for Thomas Pink, I wasn't good enough to dress the window. I was I was banned from dressing the window because I wasn't smart, I wasn't neat nice enough. And it's just so funny. but you learn that because I thought oh, I was a bit clumsy, probably am a bit clumsy, but I've learned something like clumsiness part of my style. So it's just interesting that you just keep learning and just because you're not good at something in one job, don't write yourself off because that next job, your skill set's actually better, you improve. I mean, I wasn't particularly academic. I mean, I s I didn't struggle at school. certainly wasn't naturally academic I wasn't known as a good writer and then suddenly by my mid-40s I started writing a few things and people said no this is good this is this is readable so yeah I always give advice and just say keep take don't give up on anything if someone says you can't dress a window you can't style or you're not good at figures don't take it personally you you it's just that context and you just keep pushing and doing what you love and do it in the space space you enjoy. This is space I think you it enjoy. It's fun.
1: Probably had a lot to do with you being in the same industry without like switching industry. If you were, you know, if you gave up the industry itself and switched to a sure. different industry, you probably wouldn't be here. Uh, no, no, for I sure. No. I
2: stayed. I, I stayed in classic menswear, and I think we were lucky. I was probably lucky. Probably late nineties in London. People were looking at classic English, classic English, English style. From a different perspective. So there's a, so there's a bit of a renaissance with the, I mean, I was in London and Savile Row, the some of cool Britannia. So people like Richard James, Oswald Boteng, Mark Powell. So there was a real, people were suddenly looking at classic clothes differently. And they were seeing what I'd seen all along. I was thinking, actually, if you dress really classically and really conservatively, it, it looks kind of cool. It looks kind of, it, it looks, it can look fashionable and it does look very, very stylish. And then suddenly, sort of, that sort of by about 96, 97, I, you were seeing that everywhere. So it was quite an exciting time to be in menswear, and it helped my career. It helped me, but well, that, that whole sort of cool Britannia, Savile Rotom, it was a cool time.
1: Who made your first bespoke suit for
2: you? This, interesting question. My first bespoke suit was a guy, a tailor called Leslie Childs. And he worked for Leslie Childs. He's a South London bloke. Uh, gosh, I was probably mid-90s, so I was probably early, tw- I was probably mid-20s there. Yeah. And it was a three-button, semi-fitted, dorme windowpane check with pleated trousers. And that was when you, a pane check suit, you just couldn't get one off the peg. I mean, you can get them off the peg now. And I, and it was, yeah, very, very nice. I mean, I had made some measures before then. My first proper bespoke suit, a yeah. three-button, uh, slim, very slim lapels, Tapered trousers, two-inch cuff, four-band working cuff. Yeah. yeah. Very nineties, very nineties. Funny yeah, that yeah, the first yeah.
1: bespoke is a is a window pane. Uh I would yeah, yeah, you yeah. Would go something more classic that you can wear more often.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I've kind of done that. But my first my first ever suit, which my father bought me when I was 16, was a double-breasted Prince of Wales check. And again, it's one of those things I often get asked. I do a lot of sartorial. What should I do with my first suit? we always say, I, I still say a two-button charcoal, because it's most conservative. Actually, what I what I wanted when I was 16, because I wasn't wearing suits, I was still at school and I wasn't wearing suits every day. I wanted a suit I could I could break up and wear individually. And I wanted something I could wear more casually. So my first suit was a Prince of Wales because I could wear the, the jacket with other trousers, I could wear it with a roll neck. So it was quite actually how we are in fashion now. My suit when I was 16 was very personal because that's actually how I'm telling people to dress now. People are very much into not just having a suit, you only wear the shirt and tie and black shoes for interviews. People are interested in tailoring, you can break up and you can wear as trousers with a sweater, you can wear the, as a blazer, you can wear it with roll necks. Um, so I've always been not the obvious choice. I mean, I've made up for it since. I, I probably had about I'm trying to think how many suits I've had made in my time. I must have had over 100 suits in my 40 years. How many soapers? of those are window so, panes? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've pro- I, how many window panes? I've probably had seven or eight window panes. Okay. But interestingly, I've had very few bespoke suits. Uh, because I've always worked on the industry side, on the ready-to-wear side. I've always been very much... I've always had the, the workshop I work with making me made-to-orders. So I've actually always had the factory or the workshop that has made me one specially to my measurements. And it, they're, they're quite good. So I haven't had a proper bespoke suit this century, which is really, I keep thinking, I'm I really fancy a bespoke suit, but it's finding the time and the money and the, the inclination because I'm, I'm, I'm quite busy and I've got a lot, I have a lot of clothes and they will fit me fairly well with my, with my few adjustments.
0: Yes, yeah, so talking about having a lot of clothes, like how do you, how do you manage that many suits? 100 hundred, hundred suits made. Like, you oh, I don't, I,
2: oh, I, oh, I'm managing my wardrobe. I always find that when you have two, I might. It's part. Of that, it's funny if I do this as a consultant. I'm a. i am I help other people occasionally. People get in touch with me saying, "I need help with my wardrobe," and I, and I try to uh, apply the same rules to myself. The key to it is good organization. And make sure that all your clothes are in good repair. That's interesting. And also you need to have you need to have the right clothes visible. So I always make sure the clothes, if i if it's winter, I've, I can see my winter clothes, I can see my tweeds, I can see my flannels, I can see them all. Mm. Um, and I make sure I rotate them. And I make sure I'm I'm ladies were really into this. And the, and the ladies uh style consultants always say things like, if you haven't worn it for a year, discard it. Or well, I, I totally disagree, that. I'd never listen to that nonsense because I have formal wear or I have particular clothing. The occasion doesn't arise. So last summer, I wore a blazer. I probably hadn't worn for 10 years. Um, but I, I just knew I still liked it, but I never had the time to wear it. I never had the right occasion to wear it. So as long as something fits me and uh, it's in good repair, and I know, I, and I like it, and I feel good wearing it, no, I, I, I'll, keep, I, I, I'll keep an eye on it. But it does, you do find, and I always say this to people who are looking at their wardrobes, is once you get over a, a certain amount of clothing, it, a hobby aspect comes into it. You have to be kind of into your clothes to want to manage that. It's like this if you're really into your wine. I mean, I like wine, I like drinking wine, but I don't have a cellar. I guess once you have a big cellar, part of your time is managing your cellar. And you enjoy that, or if you have lots of cigars, or you've got a, if you've got a great library of books, you have to. You can't spend all your time reading them or just smoking the cigars. You have to have a time to organise them, and I think that's very true of clothes. That you get to a stage where you do enjoy looking at them hanging up, putting your shirts in colour order, or breaking up into seasons. Um, but no, I, I like I like having a big wardrobe. And I, yeah, it, but that it, you do have to have it. You, I think once you, I always say, I always said to customers, I think once you go over 20 suits, it becomes a hobby. You need to, a lot. because 20s, yeah, 20s is a lot, but I, I, I'm, if you're not into fashion and, you, and your body shape remains the same, I still wear clothes I had. I think like the oldest suit I occasionally wear, I had made in 2000. And actually, no one looks, no, it still looks as good as it did 20 years ago. So as long as you, I don't, as long as you, I believe in building a wardrobe. Again, that's something I get asked a lot from the younger guys who reach out to me, looking for advice and DMing me on social media. And it's like, I'm starting my start journey, and I say it's great. It's you know, best of luck, have fun. There it is, it's a journey, and you won't achieve everything. There's still things I want in my wardrobe, less things, probably more obscure things, but th- th- I know they'll come. I mean, like I, haven't, like I said, I haven't had like bespoke, a proper bespoke suit this way for 20 over 20 years I, I really want one
1: what's the loudest one what's the most bold one in your
2: wardrobe boldest one i had four i've got quite a few i had one made in 199 that was made with um end of line cloth from the of lessons who had all their cloth held in soho at the time and you could go to soho and buy end of lines and it's a 1970s windowpane check with a shadow check charcoal gray treble cherry red windowpane with white chalk highlights and I had that made as a three piece with all the bells and whistles, inverted pleats flaps over the breast pockets, turned back cuffs. Uh, that's probably my uh, that's my uh, loudest super I, I, I do like occasionally a bold fabric and I've had, I've had a and probably my most recent bold one I had a lure, a lure piano fabric they had a gingham check jacketing and I had a suit made out of it. And it's a, it's a a cream and blue gingham. And again, I just went to, I was working with Edward Sexton at the time. So I was very much looking at the Tommy Nutter era and I had it very sort of very wide depels, huge wide trousers, uh, long jacket, quite wasted. So yeah. So yeah. Occasionally I go for quite a white, a, a bold, bold suit, but then I've got equally number of midnight blues and, charcoal flannels
0: how often do you like to wear those loud suits
2: oh how often do i wear a loud suit
0: because i never once i a...
2: rarely
1: see you in a, a <laughs> loud cl- like it's very well, <laughs> classic I, 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 always
2: I, yeah yeah um once a season if i feel like it you know something's there you know once once every six months i might i might pull them out and i generally my, my bolder tailoring now and i very rarely wear a suit i wear a suit an actual fit, an actual sort of matching suit. I wear once or twice every four or five months, probably. I don't know. I, I, I generally wear tailoring. I, I I wear blazers. I wear sports jackets. So I, I generally wear my bolder suits now as separates, and that's much easier way of wearing bold colors. And then you can tone it down with a, a neutral vest or neutral trousers, knitwear,
0: something a little bit easier to
2: approach. Yeah, but I I always say it's that. Yeah, go for it. I mean, yeah, if you really like a fabric, just go for it, and you end up and you end up keeping it longer, and you end up wearing it more often. Once you've got your basics covered, um, it's fine. Because obviously, once I had my going back to when I was a, a teenager, and I had my Prince of Wales check suit, my second suit was a plain navy, and that you know, so once I had a plain navy and a check, I could cover most bases from sort of parties, formal occasions there. But no, bold tailoring is great. I'm, I'm big, particularly in tweed. I mean, don't hold back on tweed. Mm. If you can get a tweed don't jacket, it really bother. <laughs> no, no, I guess not. Although I've had, a, I've had a tweed, I had a tweed suit made in Bangkok. Oh, you I did? Ba- I did. There, when oh, Roger's fashion. The shop oh, that that's my friend. Kn- the shop that, ev- the shop that everybody recommends there's a typo on the label. A friend of mine was living in Bangkok in the 90s and I went out for a two-week holiday. I remember it was quite exotic then. That's before Thailand was such a recognized holiday destination. Exotic is a
0: a nice word for it. I was
2: was 25 and single. I I make no apologies. Um, (laughs) And he said there's some great tailors, they're really good value. I, he said, I said, what's a fabric selection like? He goes, it's good for lightweights and seersuckers and cottons, but you're not going to get the cloth you like. So I, I, I turned up with... know, I mean, A few people turned up with their own fabric, but I turned up with my own fabric, my own lining, my own buttons, mm. and had this really bold orange tweed suit, made, which I loved. I made a really good job of it. But no, I don't think... Uh, no, so if I, you don't wear a lot of tweed in Thailand, no. <laughs> Especially <laughs> not orange, orange tweed. Especially not <laughs> tweed. No, no. Yeah.
0: Definitely not the fabric you see here frequently.
2: No, no. But I had, some, but the best thing I had made and it was one of my one of my few regrets was I had made because you couldn't get them in London at the time what I called resort shirts. So I because I knew this was so easy for for Thailand, I had seersucker shirts made with a pajama collar. And two pockets and short sleeves and straight bottoms. And I, when I, I had about a dozen of those made. And when I got back to London, all my friends were asking me where I got these shirts. Mm. And had I been more of an entrepreneur, I should have then left my full-time job or had a, had a second line and imported this style of shirts. Because now in London, everyone's wearing them. Everyone's wearing Camp shirts and guy bearers and resort shirts, and it's a normal thing. Yeah. But 90s London, you just couldn't get shirts like that. And I'd seen them in the Bond films, and I'd seen them in classic books. And that's what I wanted my my shirt maker in time to make me. But I had no idea at the time that somebody else wanted to dress like that. that's pre-internet. Had that, had had in like <laughs> mind you. I'm probably glad I didn't have social media in the 90s in Bangkok. It's probably. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: was just going to say, on that, I was actually yeah. glad there was no social media in the 90s because yeah. I would be in trouble. And
2: that's the thing. I'm, I'm, part of me is I'm really glad that I had my 20s and I could go out and be a 20 something and have fun and not have any evidence of what we did or how we did it. But then you're thinking, for my career, had I when I was 25, like but have when I was 25, 26, I had these wonderful gingham check seer sucker half sleeve shirts made in Thailand for I was paying like six or seven, six or seven dollars for them. Nothing, and I was paying over the odds. I was told. Had someone had I worn them on Instagram and someone had said to me, "Chris, I love your shirt. Where did you get them?" I could have then emailed the shirt, the shirt, the, the, the workshop, and 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 sold them as a as a second line. And I could have sold them online. But back in the 90s, London, you'd have to have bought a shop, you'd have had to impulse them, get wear. Yeah. So, no, I, but you know, I, regret, regrets are, I mean, I'm quite happy where I am in my career. So, I don't, I don't, but it's, I do, I do think back at that time and think that was an opportunity. And when I see how people are dressing now and I see these shirts, that's exactly, it was, you got to, think, if there's something you really want, if there's something you really want in your wardrobe and you really like it, you're probably not the only one. And that's where a lot where Kit Blake came from.
0: It's interesting. So now your line is classic trousers.
2: Classic trousers, yeah. That was, um, again, it was just something I I struggled to find. Um, I departed, i was been a career man for almost 30 years, and in the summer of 17, me and Chester Barry departed company, and I was out of work in the summer, which wasn't the worst time to be out of work. It was a gorgeous summer, and I was, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've been working, all my adult life I never took I never went to university I never had sort of long summer holidays I always used to work during some holidays when I, was a, when I was at school but I was thinking oh I deserve a, a few weeks off sort of doing nothing and um, gave me time to have a, a bit of thinking time a lot of headspace and again I looked at my wardrobe which was full of suits and I wasn't wearing suits very often and I had lots of blazers lots of sports jackets I never had any and I had a very few pairs of trousers and Always neglected in my career, trousers were always neglected. And it made me think this is a neglected area. Why can't I buy a pair of tailored classic trousers as easy as a pair of jeans or chinos, white or khakis? And I started doing a bit of research and I thought, yes, there's definitely a space here. And I was thinking, no, for my career on the shop floor, I know there's always a resistance to pricing. I know when I was a salesman on Savile Road, I could sell a £2,000 suit. Because that was the price that was, you know, people expected that. But and you can sell a fifteen hundred pound blazer or a two thousand pound overcoat or a three thousand pound formal suit. That was easy. No, no, that was there was no, people understood that. But then they're coming down need some flannels. You say that's seven hundred pounds. They look at you like what? We're not paying that's a pair of pa- their trousers. There's always a resistance to how much a pair of trousers should be because they're trousers. So I knew there was a customer who was willing to spend money on clothes, but wouldn't mind a pair of, you know, good enough trousers. So it was always in the back of my mind of, of doing trousers. And then I was doing my reaching out to people, looking for opportunities, and I had this huge list. And I always recommend this to people who are out of work. And there's a lot of people at the moment, it's don't do blanket emails because everyone, everyone just nicks, everyone just nicks the CC list. No one actually reads it. But do individual letters, spend longer and write to people personally and, and connect with them. So I did that. And one guy I wrote to was a guy called Richard Wheat, who was a, a friend of mine, not a close friend, but, but, but someone I always enjoyed the company. I knew he liked his clothes. And I wrote to him and just said, You know, I know you have a, a luxury lug, 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 luggage company. Anything, anything I can do to help? And he said, Have coffee. And we, he said, I'd love you to consult on Calla Calla, which is his luxury luggage business. But he said, forget that, forget that. Where's the space? I'm entrepreneur. I've always liked your taste and your style. Where's the space in menswear? Is there any space in menswear? Everyone's telling me that things became less formal. And I went, it's trousers. And he was like, really? They're trousers. They're not really kind of doing trousers. He said, well, put together a little presentation for me. So I did, and um, that was how Kit Blake was born. And within a year, we were trading. Um, and we've it's I, I often again I, I this is my first ever business so I've bought I'm a i have i am ai went I became an entrepreneur in my late 40s late like I became a writer in my mid 40s and I would say to people again keep going back to your original what's your original business plan of who your customer is and we had three customers we we're aiming for and we absolutely hit two and we're still struggling for the third so and we are finding you're getting the older guy who wears bespoke suits and can afford stuff? Who just wants an easy option? Because also, even if you have your clothes made, having trousers made can be a pain because you just want a pair of trousers, you want a pair of flannels, you know. So we get guys who can, who have, who spend a lot of money on clothes, who go bespoke, use Kit Blake almost like some people use the Gap or Uniqlo. It's just a very easy, affordable way of of supplementing their wardrobe with classic pieces. Um, and then the other customer we're getting is we're getting the young sartorist looking to make his first proper purchase to upgrade from his teenage years. So, and it's a, for them, it's a stretch for our price. But they realise when they get a pair of proper trousers, it completely transforms their whole wardrobe. It changes their silhouette, it changes their style. And suddenly even just a plain T-shirt looks really cool with proper tailored trousers. So that's that's where we are. We've, yeah, it's okay, It's been a... A strange two years to launch a business, but um, we've been in the right place. Yeah. But we're only online. We haven't had the, we're we're online. We've remained nimble. We don't have a, a, we don't have a permanent showroom because you see, this is where I work out my second bedroom Mm. slash office. So we're doing okay.
0: You know, you talked about becoming an entrepreneur in your late forties, you know, and I I think a lot of the, the focus on entrepreneurship is often on like younger entrepreneurs who start like really sexy tech companies, But (laughs) there's actually been quite a bit of research that, you know, older entrepreneurs are actually very successful. And actually the the key age or the key demographic for successful entrepreneurs is between 40 and like 55.
2: I can see that. I can see that because we've had, we've got the benefit of, you know, I find, you know, again, it's it's what your friends think you do for a living and what you actually do for a living. And when you're sort of the the head buyer in a menswear company, People look on Instagram and I'll say, "Okay, well, you're standing next to a model and you're drinking champagne wearing a beautiful suit. That's your that's all you do. Yeah. Most of the time you're when, when you're working in menswear, particularly on the corporate level, you're just staring at spreadsheets, making making margins work and making things deliver on time. So you become very, very commercially aware. And you're also aware of all those things that cost things that because you've been aware of it because someone because the accounts and picking up on it for the last 20 years so when you when you're launching a product you know to build in the cost of shipping and the cost of shipping of trim and the cost of the label and all those little things that add up um and you know you know so when you when you do become a your own business you automatically think that way the great thing is if you make a mistake you don't get shouted at you don't (laughs) <laughs> you don't get in trouble for, for going over margin, but it's your money, so you treat it differently. But then yeah, no, certainly I can see how um yeah people of our of, of my age, if they're in the if they stick to their industry, plus you have all the contacts. And yeah. it, it, I I was very, very lucky that I brought up some great press contacts, particularly with the rates. So when I did launch a collection, I knew who to talk to and and who to get and, and who to speak to. And, and also I've been a buyer i've been i've been pitched to you so many times with products um so i knew what to say what not to say we're not to, who not to bother wasting time with or when the collection's ready to show somebody and what they want to see and what questions i want to answer rather than we've got great trousers you should have them and then, so i so i know if i approach a buyer there's no point approaching a certain time of year because they're not they're not interested i need to, i need to know when the when their season is and what questions they are going to ask? And also what, what, what they need to get from it. So, yeah, I, I can see that.
0: So talk about that a bit. Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners who have their own brands or are thinking of starting their own brands would love to dive in a little bit more to that conversation. What, what, what are the things that you want to approach a buyer with that, that will make them interested in your product?
2: Okay. Well, for a start, you have to know. The, the key to it is you, know, you have to know exactly what they sell. Because I, I used to get really annoyed when people say I've got a great partner. I say I was a buyer at Eden Ravens I'm, I, I, I make these, So I get a phone call or an email. So I make the most wonderful overcoats. You should see them. And that's okay. Come and see me. So come and make an appointment. And they, they start questioning me. So how many shops have you got? How many overcoats do you buy? I'm like, you do know how many shops I've got? Well, you, you should know that. So go, when you go to, when I go to see somebody, I've always made, you know, particularly the internet, it's not hard now. Come on. You got a smartphone you can you can do it on the way to the meeting know how many shops they've got find out a bit about that person and just go in there informed and so make when you're selling your products make it person to the person you're selling it to if they've got if they've, if they've only got one shop they're not going to be buying huge hundreds of trousers if they've got if they've got 50 shops they're not going to buy it for every shop in the first go so you always you you try and sell added value, you, you're, you, but you have to ask the questions up front. What margins do you need to do? How, what, what business models do you like? And also, if I could give any advice, and I, I would say this is what I've learned more than anything, is that when you sell something wholesale, you don't stop selling it. So whenever I sell something wholesale, I take responsibility for that product. And I take, I'm interested in that product until the final consumer has sold it. And I think that's where a lot of the older companies and the older guys of the generation before me went wrong. They would turn up every six months, sell you stuff, disappear for six months and turn up and sell you more stuff. Rather than saying, how's the the stock going? Uh, What's the feedback? Is there anything I can do to help you sell your product? It's it's all about that value of still really engaging with their end-use customers and watching what they're doing and promoting it. Um, So we're selling it twice. So I know the older guys were like, I've sold it once. My job's done. I've sold my my seasonal stuff. I'll I'll see you next season. But unfortunately, you just have to keep on selling that. And I learned that when I was at Chester Barry because we opened accounts and we never did that. We sold stuff, and we never gave that in season support. So, I would say to people who, are, who have got menswear brands or fashion brands: so once you've sold it, you've been paid. You, you know, if you want, if you want, to, great if great if you can retire on that. if you want to sustain that business, you keep that relationship up, and you you talk to that person. How did if you sell fabric? How did that fabric make up? What did you make out of it? Um, any feedback on it? Uh, did, the, did the guys on the shop floor like it? Um, the, the jackets he made you last season. I just, just talk to them and, and ask questions. Of what sort of customers buy my trousers? Um, what what sizes are more popular? Any reject anything like and so that type of thing. or is there any more information I can do? Can I do any more training for your staff? Um, and m- at most brands will, well, the, the, the better brands will really, really react to that. And that so that's my advice to people selling. It's you never stop selling. And going to probably because I spent 12 years on the shop floor, I've never stopped probably being a salesperson. Even when I was a buyer and a designer and a head of creative, you never stop selling, and you don't. You, 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 whether you're selling it to a potential wholesale customer or you're selling the concepts to your bosses, absolutely, you got to know, for a start, with the internet, you need to know exactly what, what he has, how many shops he has, what he's responsible for, what product category he can have. Um be upfront about the margin you know be be upfront about the business model. be very straight, but also talk about added value because I think nowadays everyone's looking for added value because you know what can you give? Can you give training? Can you help them promote it? Can you do install promotions? Can you do trunk shows? And I think that is really, really important. Um, also exclusivity. I think again, particularly again in the in the, in the modern world, is that people are always nervous that if I buy something, the first thing they'll do is they'll, people will come to my store, they'll try it on, they'll look at it, and then they'll Google it and buy it cheaper elsewhere. So again, can you, can you give stores exclusivity? Can you, do, can you do collaborations? Are you willing to collaborate with them? Are you willing to make something special for them? So all those sort of things are really, really important. And it's just, I mean, again, that's why I've always said, my time on the shop floor has really helped me at, at a higher level. It's all about, you know, it's just really what you learn when you're selling socks on a department store. It's overcoming objections. If people are saying negative reasons, uh, saying why they don't want to buy something, they're still talking to you. Who goes out shopping to sell something? I'm going to go shopping today. I'm going to go to shops and tell people why I'm not going to buy something. The reason they're saying that is they're interested in that product. They want to be sold. So if you go to, you know, in the same way, if someone says, oh, I don't like that, it's the wrong This it's that. Overcome objections. Um and, and again, just remember make a note of this, and it will help you next time. Um, but just because someone says um, they make an appointment to see you, and they say we don't, we don't, we haven't got any space for new brands. Well, you've made an appointment, so you've you've got no space for new brands. But you have a diary you can see, mate. So you just you know, it's just talking to them. Okay, you haven't got space for new brands. You well, know what brands aren't performing? Why, or what categories are there? Or with or, or I mean, I, when I started the brand, let me think. gosh, uh, Twenty seventeen. As a concept, and I was, I was getting feedback, and I was getting people to talk to us. And the biggest thing was, well, people on formal tailoring is over. So why would you go into a formal tailoring brand just as the whole world is just finally just dressing down? But that was exactly why I felt it. You no, know, that's that's why we're doing it because elements of tailoring need to be more fluid. And the, the the way a lot of people are wearing our trousers are different to how they were twenty years ago. And we saw a lot of tea, we saw a lot of classic. English grey flannel trousers. that people wear with sneakers and a polo shirt. It looks fantastic. I love that look. Well, let's talk um, about
0: the trousers for a second, because yeah, you know, yeah sure. Let's talk about trousers. You know, what what makes a classic trousers? What are to... what are those what are those style details that really make a trouser sort of classic versus modern?
2: Okay, okay. Well, for me, it, it, it's the trousers fit. I mean, I think from a from a style point of view, I think we hit some real low times in the last ten years. <laughs> Yeah. Where um, I mean really I think it's been it's been it's not been it's not been a, not been a, a golden era of clothing Whereas well, I saw it happen. I mean I, I started getting slightly more fitted suits in '96 and they got more they got smaller and smaller. they got longer and smaller and then by about 2012 they just got sh- ridiculously small and every season to become more fashionable they got smaller and smaller and the trousers became tiny. And they started to cut tailored trousers, like jeans or chinos, because that's what we were told was comfortable. Um, and they just, they just bunch up around the knees; they, they're tight. You can't put anything in your pockets if you can use your pockets. So for start, even if they're a slimmer fit trouser, they shouldn't have they shouldn't be full of pulls and wrinkles. They should they should have a they should hang. Um, they should they should sit on your waist or above your waist rather not rather than on your bum cheeks. When around, you when know, you're really really low. Not on your proper waist, not your hips. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah it's just it's trousers from the waist. I mean, and the style that's really. I mean, when we when I introduced the collection, we we're going to have I think we're talking about four or five different styles of trouser. And I wanted to do what we now call the Alexander, which was like the proper old-fashioned Savile Row trouser with very deep pleats and forward-facing pleats. And I thought, well, this isn't going to be commercial but I, I, I really love this style. It's what I want to wear. So we'll put it in there for the, one. Well, we'll put one for the menswear nerds. So it was in there. And and obviously my first customer I went to see was the rake because they had the, they've got a fantastic online, online mm-hmm. bit, uh, business platform. Exactly. So I thought, okay guys, so this is the collection and the buyer there, guy called who's at the time, Benton George was like this one, what I want this style. I want a double forward plate. That's the style we want. So, what was going to be a, and at the same time, my business partner, Richard Wheat, was trying all the styles, and I thought, well, I'll I'll have a pair of double pleat. there might be a bit much for you, from what you're used to, and he was like, I love it, this is the trousers I've always wanted, they're comfortable, I look cool, my wife likes them, and she just thinks it's a really, really cool way, so um, actually, the one that's really been our hero product has been our proper double forward pleat, and it's so cool, because when I was talking about those with my Chester Barry days, and I talked about it, I was I, the, the people were older than me were telling me how old-fashioned I was and how out of touch I was, and yet it's that's the exact trouser that's maybe engaged with the twenty somethings who who are really have got an appetite for proper tailoring, and it's just so nice that that slightly more fluid, drapier trouser it lets the fabric, and also when you're dealing with that with proper trousers. Is that the fabric becomes so important? Well, if you're letting the fabric drape and you're giving it, you've got a bit of room for the fabric to hang. You really, you, the fabric can express itself. But when you're doing these really skinny trousers, the fabric you're, it's fighting against you. So I always, you know, we always pick the most beautiful, beautiful fabrics. Uh, really lovely drapey flannels, gabardines, uh, linens. Um, no, it's really important for us. So that's so proper trousers. And again, when we put a lot of detail into them. If you look at our inside our trousers, they've got a proper curtains, waistband, so they're even more comfortable. All the buttons on them are real horn. The inside buttons are rubberized, so they have like a shirt grip. All our trousers, and this is the point, is never have belt loops. All our trousers are self supporting. Um, again, when I worked on Saville Row, you learn fairly soon that belt loops are, 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 are for are ready to wear. Yeah, So we, I'm we not all a our trousers. No, I mean, it, 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 I I, I don't really like belts. I've never, I mean, I, since I had my suits custom tailored in my early 20s, I I don't know I've ever had a suit made for belt loops. I've never, know, why would I pick that? Why would I pick a, why do I want a made-to-measure suit, or a bespoke suit that looks like I'm ready to wear one? So I've always wanted self-support. Um, I'm a
0: suspender I guy. A, I like my waist a little bit, oh, oh, and I wear suspenders. Ah,
2: oh, you'd love our trousers. No, I'm, I'm, I'm a Gucci
1: belt guy. I'm kidding. He's yeah. a Gucci
0: yeah. belt guy. <laughs> you said that was too much. The pants and oh no. Belt. Yeah, yeah, typical.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheap, expensive watch and cheap shoes. Um, <laughs> no, but absolutely. I oh, know. I love all our trousers. I mean, most of our, our pleated style has suspender buttons. And yeah, I if I'm wearing a suit, if I'm wearing a proper suit, again, yeah, always been a suspenders, braces guy. Yeah. Because they hang. Again, if you, you know, if, uh, again, we, um, if you want the trousers, if you want those pleats to hang to perfection, like they do, like you see in the old films, they just look so so cool. And the old sort of fashion imagery from the from the from the sort of golden age of tailoring, you wear braces, they just hang so much better. And it, it, and you, who wants to be cutting half round the waist? I mean, yeah. So no, we we we're big fans of that that look, and it, it's really cool because what I was told in my commercial world was was un, was old fashioned uncommercial is, is has, has really hit the spot for us so um yeah but we do other styles we do drawstring waist uh we do uh fl- we do a couple of flat front styles for certain it's not every cloth complete hmm. uh some of the heavier sort of st- uh, sort of stiffer tweeds can look a bit cumbersome as a pleat so we do those as flat front but we don't we don't we don't do skinny
0: yeah good for you because <laughs> it <shouldn't exist. laughs> <laughs> you know actually we we interviewed uh mr b the gentleman rhymer uh okay he's, he's a um chap hop fellow from brighton
2: and a uh, very popular okay. musician and he
0: likes the uh the oxford bag
2: yes sure okay well the oxford bag is a great trouser so i used to work for the company that invented them oh wow. i used to work yeah i used to work for a company called eden ravenscroft And they had a shop in Oxford High Street, which was serving all the obviously largely serving students, undergraduates. And they were used to be called Hall Brothers before Eden Mavenscroft took them over. And Hall Brothers was a tailor to the Duke of Windsor while he was at Magdalen College. And in their archive, they had they were the original maker of the Oxford bag from from Oxford, I think late 20s, with a 20 inch car uh, with, with very wide bottoms, very, very full cut leg. So, yeah, the Oxford bag was, um, we, we, I, I always wanted to revive them, but uh, we were very, the trouble was Eden Ravenscroft, which is a fantastic brand to work with, was so, so conservative. They were, only, they were scared of their own archive. So, um, <laughs> but we never did one. But there was a, but it, yeah, it informed my taste. I, I've always loved, I mean, obviously, the Oxford bag became like all fashions, like a lot of fashions became exaggerated. They had to, on some like like 40 inch hems. But I've always, I've always, always liked having a few pairs of wider leg trousers, regardless of the fashion. I think particularly in summer, in linen, they were so lovely and drapey and a pair of grey flannel full cut trousers with braces. It's just, I love the way it frames the shoe, where you just have a little bit of the toe sticking out. If you're in two-tone shoes, again, it's a really cool look, that sort of like jazz age aesthetic. Yeah. So yeah, but we don't. But our our Alexander, we are very careful. We we are not Oxford bags. If you like Oxford bags, you you'll you'll appreciate the taste and the style. But we are not a retro clothing brand. That is I have to be. I have to check myself because I can be a little bit foggy at times. And I do like waistcoat slips, and I do like starch collars, and watch chains, and diamond stick pins, and all my dandy <laughs> bits. But actually, a bit of a dandy are you? I can be a little I I, I do have dandy. I wouldn't have a dandy, but I do have dandy elements. I can get I can I, I yeah in the sense that I like I've got half a dozen pairs of two-tone shoes. I love correspondence, I love separate collars. So I, I wear the shirts where the collars are to attach that like I used to wear in the old days. Uh I send my collars off to a certain place to have them restart. So yeah, they're, they're, it's all there, <laughs> but on a day-to-day basis. I'm. I, I am probably more mod. i more modern dressed than I've ever been in my. I'm, I'm. I'm. probably more modern and more casual now than I've ever been in my say my twenties. And I, I wear. I've really discovered beautiful knitwear. And, yeah, and knit, the knitwear is
0: great too.
2: Ah, oh, so. But I, but again, when I was in my twenties, knitwear was something you wore when it was cold. Yeah. I was very much. All, even at the weekends, I was always wearing a tailor jacket and a, and, a, and a German street shirt, even with open neck. But now I'm learning. I'm really into sort of fine gauge knitwear, and, I'm, and I, I just think the simplicity of a of a, a beautifully cut crew neck that fits your neck perfectly, so simple, just in a very plain color mm. with a, with a beautiful pair of trousers. I just think it's such a such an easy way of dressing. Yeah, so I'm pleasant. very much into yeah. It's so, and again, that's and I think that's where again there some mistakes I've made in the past is that as a stylist, I can put together some quite elaborate, clever looks. And people go, wow, I love that look. I think that's amazing. I couldn't wear it. Mm. What do you mean? Oh, okay. So they'd engage with it, it'd be really positive, but not actually want to wear it. You know, think, and I think what I've achieved at Kit Blake is I make clothes which are wearable because we show the grey flannel. Sure, we show it with braces and loafers and work. And we show it with all the, sometimes you dress it up. But really, when we just show it with you know, a pair of great boots, nice flannels, a sweater and an overcoat four or five easy pieces and you look so you look so considered and so well dressed and so well put together yeah it's no more difficult than wearing jeans or sneakers we're just choosing nicer items
0: yeah that, that's, that's a good. great it's a great point because i think a lot of people in you know in fashion in general whether it's menswear or, or women's wear people get really obsessed with these sort of haute couture sort of runway looks but mm. the reality is no one wears that shit Right, no, what no. what people wear, like you said, what what can be comparable to jeans and sneakers? What what can you look exactly. at and say, yes, I would be comfortable to wear that? And if you can design that really well, that will yeah. resonate with people, right? If you if you're designing something that is approachable, well made, yeah. and, and well thought out, that will resonate with a consumer base.
2: That's where we are. It's just like it's and and again, the, the customer is so funny. The customer. Who's our core customer? Who's our hard... No, we thought we was was the guy my age. You know, me and Richard are similar. I'm older than Richard. I'm almost. I'm. I'm pushing fifty. Uh, Richard's mid forties. And it's guys our age who, when they, you know, most guys in their twenties are, are, are vain because we have to be, and we, um, we won't. We care about how we look, and then suddenly life gets in the way, and suddenly you don't get suits made anymore, and suddenly your your wardrobe takes less priority over the mortgage, how uh, school fees, holidays, children, life gets in the way, you've kind of neglected your wardrobe. And you, st- you find yourself you know dressing in the highest department stores wearing bad Genos, and it's like, how did this happen? And I, I always say to those guys, the next time you go to the, a pub on a Sunday and you're going out for lunch with your family, and you rather than buying your bad Genos, Swap them for a pair of grey flannel trousers. Don't change anything else. Still wear your sneakers. Still wear a jumper. Still put a blues on And suddenly you look so much better. And it's a really easy upgrade. So much more elegant. So much more elegant. And, people, and suddenly what I love is it's a reaction. It's like if you change your jeans or chinos to a pair of grey flannel, suddenly it's like, oh, you look dressed up. Well, that was hard. They're easier than jeans or chinos because you don't need a belt with them. They're more comfortable than jeans and chinos because they're full car. And that's that's where we, that, that's the message we're trying to get across. That just having a few pairs of trousers and you know, Christmas Day lunch, all those occasions you go to nowadays, where it's like a birthday dinners so or against the cocktails, it's just 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 you don't need to wear a full three piece suit or dinner suit, but just don't wear. You know, as they said in that, oh, that lovely film, be best in the gap. What was that from? Crazy, crazy, sexy, cool.
0: I'll fight against the belts with you all day. I, I hate belts. I think <laughs> I, and look, this is the other thing, right? It pulls a, te- a belt pulls attention to an area of your body you really don't want it to to be, right? You're pulling the focus away from the whole outfit oh, to no, like no. this waistline oh, no, no. where the belt cinching everything together, and it's just yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous.
2: that's yeah, no, exactly. That's why that's why I'm, that's a, that's the comment I'm getting from some guys that, particularly younger guys who are looking for that. Photo, I, I love it. They said that they're they're sartorial they're Sartor journey and they're looking to upgrade. And suddenly, they change from chinos or or high street trousers to my trousers, and the whole silhouette changes. So suddenly, your your basic navy polo shirt just looks more elegant. Your brown suede loafers look completely different because they're sitting underneath a two-inch cuff. And it's just that type of thing. It reminds me, actually, when I I, I, I was a teenager, and my first proper bit of clothing was a German street shirt, a proper English shirt with with a big collar and a double cuff. And I noticed how it completely changed my high street suits. And I noticed, I realized that I, if I bought slightly nicer shirts, my suits and sh- my, everything else around it got lifted up with it. Not every item you buy does that. I think if you buy an expensive pocket square, it's nice and it's fancy, but it doesn't actually change your suit. Um, but I find that a, a good pair of trousers completely changes the silhouette. So uh, yeah, it's an, it's an easy upgrade. And that's what, we, that's what we're selling. Not having a belt changes the silhouette. Not having more a belt. Oh, yeah. Complete. Complete. Because you're not cinched in. And, you know, and as I know, you will you will you will no matter how slim you are, no matter how big you are, your, your waist changes, you know, it changes throughout the day. And it's just by having the side adjustable belts, it just makes it more comfortable rather than having to adjust your belt. Yeah. Absolutely. So, the, yeah, we're, 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 we're kind of anti belt.
0: Chris, we have uh, 10 questions that we, we throw out to all of our guests to build sort of a baseline for the Dapper okay. Villains podcast. I'd love to run through these with you. Let's do it. All right. So yep. first off, you know, when did you first know you had an interest in menswear and men's style?
2: Uh, for my first conscious thought, absolutely five or six years old always always been obsessed with what i'm wearing and how it affected my mood and how it affected how people treated me so yeah i mean i i i hear this a lot most people talk about sort of puberty when they're into high school when they're sort of 13 14 and they, they by then i was seasoned <laughs> you were Seriously, keeping um, the game by high school i was deep no because I was, it was it's absolutely i, I think about this a lot um but when I was eight or nine years old, I was wearing golfing trousers. I was wearing like particular golfing trousers with um, yeah, I was eight or nine years old and we were wearing golfing trousers, we were wearing knitwear, wearing fine gauge knitwear, we were wearing uh college style loafers and white socks. I mean we were dressing like 2020 hipsters. Nice. Um <laughs> yeah, I wish I again, I wish I had better photographs, but um and so I I can't, I, I was always aware of what I was wearing. how it made me feel of course tailoring and again but i got introduced to trousers very early on but again because we didn't back in the 70s sportswear wasn't really worn for family occasions it was only worn for sport your your smart clothes were more tailored so we always had proper trousers from a teenage years you always had i remember i got a pair of pleated trousers for my holy i'm catholic i had a your confirmation when you're 13 is a big event and i got a pair of slate blue pleated trousers which i was so proud of uh, which i wore a pin colored shirt so no i've always been there so uh yeah i can't remember being alive and not being interested in what i wear
0: nice do you have any mentors coming up in the industry
2: uh absolutely yeah absolutely I, i've had some opportunities to work with some amazing people and that's the great thing is again the, the guys i always say my is, is look to the older guys uh, when I my first job on the shop floor selling shirts as a proper old school buyer called Greg Constantinides who was amazing and very generous with his knowledge gave me lots of opportunities early on so he was great and, and that's still how, I, how he used to buy and how he used to make his selections still informs how I do things now I also work with a guy called Mark Stafford who was my first manager at Thomas Pink who's an absolute proper dandy, who was just so indulgent of me when I was in my early 20s. I was asking questions all the time like, what are these on the sleeves? What a cuff? What, what, what uh, How many buttons should I have on the sleeves? Do I leave them undone? Should I have turn-ups? And he was just so generous with me in his knowledge. And then a the very important one was I went to Eden Ravenscroft, There was a guy called Paul Buckle who, recognized, who, who took me from the shop floor into a senior buying office, a buying position, which was hugely lucky because i never had to go through a system by a junior buyer, interning i went straight in at the top job from the shop floor i mean amazing and yeah. he just saw he realized that i had the taste and the point of view and he could train me technically so he has he i still use him now actually paul buckle i still use him as a consultant for kit blake because he's the only one i'll take criticism off on a, on a technical side <laughs> <laughs> I take it from Paul. He's he's really cool. So yeah, it's, he, he and also I, the trouble is when you become you don't get challenged anymore as you get older and you have your own business. And he challenges me, which I really respect.
0: That's fantastic. So
2: have mentors. Have mentors. There's loads more. Loads of people are just the guys and just never be a, and also younger guys you know, always ask opinions and uh, take take a, take advice, take them, take criticism. Yeah, yeah, a absolutely. good student can never have just one mentor, can they? No, God, no, no. You need loads, loads. I mean, there's so many people, and some of the older guys in the cloth world, people like Peter Adams. Peter Adams was the agent for Vitali Barbaris. and I remember because I came from a, a bespoke background, I was used to cloth bunches. So, and then all of a sudden, I went to Idia uh, Biella, and I saw the full collection, and it was it overwhelmed me, because. Suddenly, I was, I was used to picking sort of from a book of 50. I was looking at thousands upon thousands of cloth, and I just couldn't make sense of it. It was just too much. And then Peter Adams showed me the Vitali Barbaris collection. He, 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 he put it into context. And all of a sudden, I, thought, I get this. How it, I get how it works now. And he helped me with a selection. He showed me how a selection's made, took me under his wing. And it, I always remember that. I always remember that. And I, again, he, again, another very important mentor or something. Wonderful person.
0: Awesome, yeah. Mentor is so important. Such a such oh, a key part of,
2: of growth. And also, don't. But also, if you'll be. But don't be. But don't be afraid. You know, you, it's your responsibility then to pass it on to to younger people. So, if someone. So, when younger guys reach out to me, I'm always very, I, I'm always. I hope generous with my time. I remember a guy when I was a student guy who was 18 wrote to me once when I was at Chester Barry, asked me to get some coffee to get some career advice and we' become friends that's a guy called Alex Chekovec. he was probably a, a, one of the top men'swear journalists in in London at the moment doing very very well and he wrote to me while a student and just wanted some advice and I said there yeah, we'll go for coffee and we stayed in touch and he's the guy I' named my trousers for because he was my, he was my first he was my, he was my muse for the pleated trousers so we called it Alexander and it's named for him but oh, he right. was, I, was, I was I don't think he regards me as a mentor anymore maybe he does. But now I, I mentored him, helped him through. I introduced him to Waco of the Rake. Uh, so yeah, he's. Uh, it's important that as well as being a mentor, pass that, make, you know, help other people when they ask for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Pay it
2: forward, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: Now, fabric selection is something uh, in, in menswear, in the menswear world that we talk about a lot, but yes. if you had to stick with one fabric type from now on, you know, what would it be? Yep. If, what would you choose
2: oh. and why? Okay, it absolutely has to be wool. Wool is the best fabric. Everything. Um, and then you have to pick which type of wool. At the moment, I'm really into into tropicals. I love a good tropical. Okay. I'm, I'm just thinking. Because there's so much you can do with them. Because again, if you're looking at the old tropical weaves from the Edwardian era, they're actually quite heavy. So you can, you know, in the modern world, you can wear them in Windsor. They've got lovely drape, they have good colours to them, you can put patterns to them. So yeah, I'm really into them. Yeah, if, I, if I get nerdy on fabric, the one I really get into is my, is my plain weave. So I love everything. I love the Cheruti Travel, which is the most amazing drapey uh, modern nanotechnology, uh, drapey sort of travel cloth. Plus I love a fabric called Bard, which is a 1910 quality which is a, a travel cloth from them and it's really got a really lovely sort of nutty texture and it's just got it's a bags of character so that's what I'm, if i had to pick one cloth god no that's no, just never it' has to be worn I'm, I'm really i really like that for because I yeah I'm, I'm really really into that nice.
1: are you into those uh open weave stuff as well those love completely
2: absolutely yeah whenever i see that Whenever I go through the collection, I see that sort of four and five. I think the one I like is actually uh, the one I really love from uh, the Edwardian craft. I think, no, no, the VBC do a fantastic. I've just had a six-ply blazer made, which is incredible, with a 21 micron. And it's it's 510
1: gram. Now, isn't 21 micron a little bit
2: too... Um, so micron no. is the thread. Uh, Mi- the, the micron thinnest. is... Micron is another way of expressing super, and it's the mean diameter of the yarn before it's dyed. I think I'm not an expert. Mm.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but isn't 21... (laughs) like? I mean, normally it would be about 17, 18, right? Isn't 21 a bit... uh, makes it a bit too uh, rough or heavy?
2: It doesn't make it heavy, because you can weave it into a lightweight. It doesn't. You can still make it into it. No, not at all. I think... uh, in the right hands no it, it's fresh it's, it's fresher and also i think um you only judge i think the trouble about the whole supers world and the micron world is you're only you're only judging the fabric from its mean diameter which to me is like picking the state from its weight you know where but how is it where does it come from what's a what's the resilience like what's the crimp like how long is it you know and how's it woven how's it finished how's it has it been stored? There's so much you can do to a fabric, so I just think as well, in in the hands of a skilled weaver, 21 micron is more interesting. I think, uh, yeah. I mean, I love, I love, I love I mean, I, I've, I mean, I'm not going to deny. It. I love, I love, I love the rarer cloths as well, and I love worsted spun cashmere. But no, I, I, I I've always had. A, I've always, I know BBC recently made it fashionable. I've always been obsessed with the slightly more robust old school yarns uh, because again but again but in the, the, the great thing about them is that how we are with tailoring at the moment where we're having like less structure in the tailoring if you're having an unstructured suit having a bit of structure in the body of the fabric allows for that because the worst thing you can do is take a really drapey fluid cloth and then make it unstructured that's called pajamas but if you take something with a little bit of body to it a little bit of resilience a little, and something that's got a bit of memory so you can press it Suddenly, these lovely unstructured soft jackets make sense because you can still get a lovely roll in lapel without the use of heavy canvas pad, and uh, lining and shoulder pants. Oh. I'm not sponsored. I'm not sponsored by anybody here. So I up. Like I'm, I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for a freedom for VVC to turn up after this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, I, I, I do like. But saying that though, like, I love a, a, good, a good supers is still you know. I mean, my. My one of my one of my one of my evening seats is a super one fifty and it's black super one fifty. Chris, it's, I suppose if you don't
1: say don't say nice things about VBC, someone from Sicily might knock your door. <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly. So um that, but I, I like I mean I mean, obviously I, I, I like 21 microns from VBC. I like some of the more artisan stuff. So now, um I, I I do like uh yeah, you've asked yeah plain weave walls in like the, the open weaves and I love mesh blazers I love a mesh blazer mm. uh, there, used, there used to be a mill called Edward Woodhouse which I don't know if it, it's not actually the name still but they used to do the most amazing mesh blazer that looked like it was knitted you couldn't believe it was woven and I, they gave me a, a length of it it took me years to have it made and it's so resilient it's like most it's like my favorite cardigan but it, it's a the garment it's beautiful so I, know, I love open weaves a lot of texture, a lot of bags of character. And it's so comfortable to wear know they, 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 they're warm in winter, they, they breathe for you in, on, on the hot days. No, no, big, big big fan of it. All right, so then... And also I get really annoyed. I'm ranting now, sorry. <laughs> I get ruddy <really> annoyed <laughs> when people say to me, oh, I can't wear wood in summer. I'm thinking, really? You can't wear wood in summer? I'm sorry, I said, well, in that case, there's a big design for of sheep because sheep wear it all year round. The wool is a natural fabric you <laughs> haven't found in the right wild, and I think that on a really hot, if you're on a really hot, humid day, wool blazer over any other fabric because it's the most breathable and it also looks elegant. You know, I don't, I don't feel if I'm really hot, I won't feel any warmer, but I won't feel any cooler for looking crumpled. I'm saying that, I love linen, I adore linen, but if I had to, but 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 people are thinking oh, I can't wear a wool because it's summer. They, they they haven't found the right wool because wool is a most wonderful cloth. It, it, it it's naturally antibiotic, isn't it? I think it, it, it wicks away moisture. Um, it will it, does, it, it, it it's natural. It has so many natural products that have qualities to it before you can before you even weave it. So um, yeah. Definitely expecting a, a bottle of champagne for the Walmart this Christmas. <laughs> a strong case made for wool.
1: Strong strong, the strongest oh, no, definitely ever.
2: Definitely. <laughs> oh, exactly. I'm expecting all expenses trip now to Australia or New Zealand or something. I don't know. That'd be nice. But no, massive, massive fan of. It's, it's of, all right. Of, of, it, it,
1: we, the, the show is not that famous.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it will be. Oh, no, no. Uh, uh, it wasn't that famous, it wasn't that famous, but uh, no, no, come
1: on. Until you came eight. on. and Now you've
2: got a major a and it's going huge.
0: Now we've lost <laughs> all eight listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So world best made for war, right
2: there. That, absolutely, absolutely. 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 And, so, and, and, sorry, sorry, and it's so good for the environment. I mean, again. If you you compare a pair of wool flannel trousers and a pair of denim jeans in the high street and then look at the impact on the environment, I won't go into details, but the wool is a lot better. Anyway, my big wardrobe. I'm asking about my massive wardrobe.
0: This is true, actually. So cotton does have a, a high water footprint.
2: Exactly. And, we, and, we buy, and also, you're buying, you know, I look at, you go to the house, how cheap are jeans? And you, you see a pair of jeans for like, what, $20, $30? I'm thinking the price of that on every stage of our production. Yeah. Is this right? And and, and also, okay, I'm, I'm ranting, but who cares? You buy a pair of jeans and everybody got holes in them. You're thinking really, in a world of limited resources, you're paying someone to destroy your clothing. I mean, <laughs> if you're going to wear ripped jeans, if you're going to wear distressed clothing, distress it yourself. You know, if you've got a pair of really old jeans you've worn the holes in and you still love them that's cool but employing people in countries to actually make holes in jeans really we, we've really got that we live in a world of limited resources and employing and explain some what do you do for a living i make jeans look old for people who <laughs> actually can't be bothered to make them old themselves I really that's that's a job yeah no no so yeah so i i'm, I'm i mean i Dana, dana Dana Asian is a big
1: himself. denim guy so uh
0: <laughs> you, yeah, no, i am I, I don't disagree with anything you you're saying I, I that's okay. true it's true yeah, I, I think it's true. offensive when people buy jeans with holes in them like you yeah, can't afford exactly. to buy a pair that's fully functional yeah. you know buy but, but the point of, you're making yeah. is absolutely right like we're you know you're employing people and if you're buying jeans for like 20 30 40 <laughs> 50 dollars you're buying yeah, yeah. something that is most likely contributing to very poor labor conditions. Exactly. You know, and you know, quality jeans. Like we're we're designing a line right now for someone that will sell for like two hundred dollars, but yeah, yeah. it's a quality, craftsman-made pair of jeans.
2: Yeah. And also, if you buy, you know, if you buy the, you buy, the, you buy a good quality denim, they become they become your jeans, like in the same way that a pair of beautiful black leather shoes or a pair of brown Chelsea boots become yours because. You polish them in a particular way. You care for them a particular way. You, you, yeah. you know, they, they become yours. That's that. That's one. You can't, you can't just buy that off the shelf. You, you know, you, um, you, you should do it yourself. Buy, buy a pair of good jeans and wear them in yourself. It's yeah. far much better. It's the, the way they patina, right? They, they age. Yeah, with exactly. Oh, I, I love it. They, they become, they become, they become yours. Okay, my massive wardrobe.
0: All right. So when we look into your massive wardrobe, what's your favorite menswear item that you own in that?
2: It's always my last thing I get. Usually I, I have something new, probably a sample or something, so I'm always, it's sort of like, you that like your baby? So at the moment I picked up, I had a, an overcoat made, we do, we do a very small overcoat collection for Kit Blake um, and it's a proper sort of like 1930s great coat with massive lapels, the that come beyond the shoulders it's got a back belt, it's got a back pleat, it's got pleats in the back with buttons in it, it's proper big deep cuffs. And but I have it. Blake back... has
1: an overcoat line too?
2: Yeah, we have an overcoat line. We do, we even do, we do, um, we did this, when we launched, we did overcoats, waistcoats, and blazers. We focus now on trousers and expand the trouser range. So blazers and waistcoats are on a hole, they might come back overcoats I just love a great coat I love a great coat and I love a great coat because you can just there's something about okay living in, living in London you need, we need coats it's a cold place to live but slipping on a great overcoat it's it a massive collar you can pop the collar up it, it just feels good it's a lovely thing and a proper proper overcoat and uh and I had one made as a sample and it ended up, I can't say the the, the, the television show or film it's being used for, but by Chuck. But during lockdown, in the first lockdown, a film costume director got in touch with me and said, We need an overcoat. You know, because of lockdown, we can't get one made because our tailored on furlough. What can you do? And I said, Well, have you got anything to help me with? And I said, Well, you've got my overcoat you can borrow. <laughs> so I've lent it to a, a TV show, which I, I'm under uh, an NDA, I can't say which one it is. It's coming out in the autumn, awesome. but the great thing about it, it's a tweed. It's like a, it's an alpaca. It's a pure alpaca tweed. Beautiful. It's been really worn in a bit because it's been obviously used for filming, so it's got. It's almost like it, it has been broken in for me, and I absolutely love it. And I I pull it on, and I pull it on over everything. And it just, I just feel good in an overcoat, get, wearing a great overcoat with deep pockets and yeah, lot of swagger. So that's that's my that's my current favorite. But I have lots of you no. Know, I, I, I still still get nostalgic about some of my older clothes and things I like, i've still got a pair of Edward de green shoes i bought in 1993 and they're still going nice
0: and
2: Great. yeah oh it's probably on it's about six or seven free sole and it starts off being factory repaired and i took it locally and but again it's like you were saying about the jeans that like patina you can't buy that you can't yeah. you know, it's, you know, you can, I mean, there's some fantastic patina artists. I mean, some of those guys on the, sh- on the shoe shining in front are just geniuses. But it isn't what, it isn't mine. My one, even the little scratches that used to annoy me, I like now because they're my scratches and, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so probably my first pair of really good shoes, my open greens, a pair of cherry, sort of chestnut red, black, uh, full brogues, which I adore. And then so, uh, my oldest, I oh, sorry, my oldest, my newest, that's quite cool. So my oldest piece of clothing and my latest. But okay. don't tell the other things I've got. Don't tell anything else I've got favorites.
0: <laughs> now, we were talking about denim earlier. Is it ever yeah, okay? I've got to,
2: I've, I've, I've I've to trade carefully here because I hear you're, you're a bit of a denim head. So I'm going to be very polite about denim.
0: <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. But is it ever okay to wear denim on denim on denim on denim, i.e. the Canadian tuxedo?
2: Is it okay to wear denim on denim on denim? Well, you, you need to ask me the first question. Is it okay to wear denim? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think controversy over here. I think I think it's fine. Have you seen have you seen Donnie Brasco? Yeah. Yes. Okay. The Johnny and that, Depp. See, movie. Yeah, the Johnny Depp movie with Al Pacino and he's teaching to be a wise guy and Johnny and uh Johnny Tep turns up wearing jeans. And what he say to him? get a pair of fucking pants, to sent a rodeo. <laughs> so, uh You, have, you of... have lost
1: the American guy over here. <laughs> um, Dana, so come no. back, please. Come back. I need you, brother. That's I don't know the other seven fucking questions. <laughs>
2: <laughs> don't worry. Jay, I've got them printed. It's fine. Um, so, no. I'm a, I'm a little bit anti jeans, just because there are so many bad jeans out there and I think it, people don't wear them out of choice, they wear them out of laziness and out of conformity so I think the so trouble Canadian is Canadian
1: tuxedo is a, is a yes I'm guessing
2: actually, can I, a, a Canadian tuxedo saying that though I love denim as much as like, I've got oh, I've only got one pair of jeans in my wardrobe and they are APC Japanese selvedge denim don't start me on selvedge uh, I, I kind of like them, but I wear them occasionally. But I love, I love denim and chambray shirts at the moment. I adore them.
1: Oh, that's cool. That's always, so, cool. I really love chambray them. I think a, de- denim chambray shi-
2: a denim, a denim shirt, but worn with, I love the way it can completely, deeply, a way it completely gives a whole new point of view to a grey flannel suit, A grey flannel double breasted suit with mm-hmm. a chambray shirt suddenly looks so more, more interesting than, than, than say a white poplin or a white ballcloth. cloth. So yeah, so no, I'm not against denim. I've done. I did a denim blazer when I was at Chester Barry, a worsted denim salvage blazer. So, no, I'm not, I'm not against it, actually. No, I, I think as much as I don't like things, as soon as someone says you can't do it, I'll go and do it. So, yeah, if someone says, you know, if someone says don't wear three bits of denim together, that's more likely to spur me to go and do it. So, yeah, if it's done well, yeah, it's cool. I, said, if it's I know done you said
0: well, don't, but I want to get you started on salvage. What, what's up with salvage?
2: Okay, why would, you, why would you cut an outside seam straight? So
0: I don't disagree with no. you right it's it's not necessarily it's so not why necessarily the that? smartest thing
2: does it does it help does it does 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 cutting your outside seam or a pair of trousers on the, along the straight line of the selvage does it improve the fit or does it or does it just save fabric so it's
0: does well, it do, it makes for that that straight leg look that denim is popular for. I don't disagree yeah. that it's not the ideal fit. Right? Cuz obviously no. the the outseam of a of, of a human is not straight. No. But again, it's you know, I think people are are very it, it, jeans are generally worn with that straighter leg or like a slight taper. The the problem is yeah. when you when you have the salvage and you you want to taper you're then tapering from the inside.
2: Yeah. Again, so, yeah, though, exactly.
0: It's, it, it's one of these things that that's sort of like a, a bit of vintage, a bit of history with denim. Is you know that's oh, how no, they're sure.
2: traditionally made. I oh, know for sure, for sure. I mean, again, I mean, saying that though, as much as it, it, it and it's and, and there's been some amazing marketing on it. I mean, again, as much as I'm not denim head, um, I mean, again, again, I, I as I'm not denim. When I was in my, please when I was sort of seven or eight. I'd only ever wear Lee, it's a photograph of me when I was four years old, wearing the most beautiful Lee denim jacket. Um, I only, then in the 70s, I'd only wear Wrangler or Levi. So I was always very much into having the right denim and the right fit and having the right pair of jeans as a, as a teenager is hugely important. Yeah. Um, and I think it's nice. I think if you are going to have a pair of jeans in wardrobe, maybe have less jeans, but have better jeans. Buy and like again. My APC jeans are Japanese selvage, and I'll be honest. I would only buy selvage jeans because if I ever do a cuff, there's selvage there. I just I it's something missing. So, but I know it's wrong. I know it's Chris. Wrong. But it's so not so wrong. For Canadian jeans, tuxedo. Canadian tuxedo. Like, okay? <laughs> Is it ever okay? Is yes. it ever okay? <laughs> Can I say yes if you're Canadian? <laughs> <laughs> So he, here's the, oh, I, yes. I want to this about the Yes, it is okay. It's
0: not wrong for jeans, but it would be wrong for wool trousers.
2: Oh, certainly wrong. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try it now. I'm going to see if I can do it. The, the, you send me
0: photos. I want to see how that comes out. Look,
2: yeah, I would see my, my Italian workshop would just be going, Chris, you are mad. Um, <laughs> um So, uh, yeah. But, I'm yes, sure so they're used to
0: saying
1: that. Um, yeah, cool and- Oh, yeah, got there. Do do, do do they do they cuss you out sometimes when you ask them to do something crazy or well oh, your no, oh, clothes no. are pretty oh, no. classic anyways right
2: yeah but what yeah but you got to think I've been I've also incorporated a lot of traditional English details to them so for the last ten years I make most of my I've been a lot with the south of Italy but I've been giving them a Savo aesthetic and a and lots of Savoia details there's things we do. That they don't do, which seems simple, but if that's not how, you, if that's not how your workshop's set up, it's a pain. So any, like,
1: can we have one example? That's very interesting. Absolutely.
2: Okay. Uh, check matching. We were uh, in Savile Row, in top end Savile Row, we match the check from the lapel to the chest. Uh, I used to work. We when I worked at Chester Barry, we worked with a guy called Edward Sexton, who's an absolute legend. Again, another yeah, mentor absolutely. of mine from the tommy nutty those and he helped me build the collections together and he was saying you should match your check on the lapel to the chest I said, you can't do that it's impossible no it doesn't that doesn't happen and then the workshop were like you, you can't do this and then they found that they could do that and once you've seen it being done you can't go back so uh, yeah i've had a lot of arguments with factories and saying well why can't you do that and and just constantly constantly push them but my view is look, guys if you if if this if you if you're not willing to improve your product the guy's cheaper than you will you know you need to keep constantly improving so i always like to work with workshops that's a
1: technical that's a specific technical uh differentiation over there that's that's very cool what about on a trouser what can you do on a trouser that's that's
2: well, again, it was just, I mean, guess it. I mean, the workshop we make, the kit plate trousers, never made side-supporting trousers before they worked with me. So uh, we, we we did the whole side adjuster thing. They were very much... Ita- it was so funny. Ita- Italians have made it their own now. And you see, it's like, oh, it's this Neapolitan style. It's got side adjusters. So if you went to Naples in 2008 and asked for a pair of side-adjusted trousers, you wouldn't get a pair. They've made it their own. But when I was in the trade in the noughties, English trousers were... Pleated with side adjusters, Italian trousers were slim with belt loops. That was the difference. It was very black and white. Um, but so the wor- so the workshop I was using in Apulia, I think we were the first brand to do side adjusters. And now you go to their workshop and you think, oh, okay. you, you, they kind of, they kind of get it now. They, and they, again, like what Italians are fantastic at, is taking something and making their own and sending it back to us. So you're getting English stripes Absolutely. buying. Yeah. So yeah. you're getting, oh, look at VBC. We're going to the you know, English people to the VBC to buy British fabrics, you know, chalk stripes and Glenn checks and flannels, you know. We invented those. So it's interesting. It's, it's interesting. But they do it very well. Uh, but no, yeah. Um, but having a strong relationship with your manufacturer, again, if the guy is starting out and going to the men's world. Having that relationship is so important. And sadly, in, in the COVID days, it needs to be personal. You can't deal with Italy over Zoom. It's very much a, a social thing. And we have to be there. You have to be there. And you have to have the, the two-hour lunch, which we, as an English person, we, we, we just have to adopt. Because like English people, we, we skip lunch because you want to start drinking at five, hmm. whereas the Italians... <laughs> they
1: want to drink at lunch.
2: They, no, want, they, no. want, they have a glass of wine at lunchtime and, and you have to have two breakfasts. So you have breakfast in the hotel and you will get to the factory for 8 o'clock in the morning and the first thing you do is go out for breakfast. But that's how it is. You have to, you have to respect their culture. Um, but no, you know, have, having a strong relationship. And also, again, Paul Buckle taught me this, is don't just go back to your supplier with negative stuff. That's what you always do, is that you have a whole supply chain and you only go back where this was late, this was my order, this was delivered short, this wasn't delivered to the highest quality I expected. But if they deliver something really nice, it doesn't hurt to say, thank you for that button you gave me. This is the blazer it went on. Or thank you for that cloth. This is so-and-so. Just share some of the good news. And if your product, if, if your workshop is- It demotivates a
1: person, right? Oh, if you completely. just only give them bad news.
2: Oh, completely. And, it's, and, and because not many people do it, it just creates it, 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 also gives you context. So if, if it's, oh God, it's Chris, it's it's a very is no, he's, moan, he's moaning again because that's all you do. And it's like, okay, this guy, will, if he delivers this guy, just, to, he'll, but if, if occasionally it's like, oh, here's that, that London bloke
1: coming in and getting angry again,
2: getting angry and moaning because <laughs> throwing uh, our pattern papers. And... I still <laughs> one there because his first cuff button wasn't on one and one eighth inch from the edge of the hem. He always said that. Why can't you do that? No, um, Chris, I'm Chris, fine.
1: okay, is, is there anything that Your Italian suppliers can't do that you used to be able to do in the role.
2: Oh, of course I can. Yeah, I suppose the problem what you can't do on a trouser, and again we're working on it, and again it's that hand pressing. I can do it on a jacket. I can do. I can get a beautiful hand pressed coat and jacket. But you, we can't. We'd love to be able to get that shape on the back of the trouser, but you've got to think my trousers are retailing for two hundred and fifty pounds. And bespoke trousers are 1500 pounds we're not talking about a little bit more here we're talking about a big significant jump and the pressing although they're beautifully pressed and 250 is really simple. good price man Oh no, yeah exactly exactly when, when, to when, get a we made want...
1: in italy label with your touch on it and everything
2: completely completely that's yeah, the thing of, for, for the quality of the styling and that's that's again because it becomes the, the again going back to the anyone looking to your own business Get your price point right, and again, I, I, I really worked hard on getting that price point right. Don't just make a product and then work out what it's going to cost. Price point is, is as well as you, you're designing your product, so you want to have it fits coming from
1: an experienced purchasing manager, I suppose.
2: Yeah, where and don't just okay, we're going to make it really lovely garment, we're going to make it great shirt. And then work out how much it costs, then put your margin on. You, well, where are you going where are you can always have a fixed point we want to be at 250 pounds and work backwards so work in both directions reverse engineer your costings so you know what you're saying but be the best you can be at that price point you know see what added what adds value
1: Puglia though is a very interesting you make you make everything from Puglia, right pulia is a very interesting we are, place yeah. but but did you start in naples first and then went to Puglia, or are you, no, you no, know about it
2: start, started in pulia i mean it's a, it's a great place you got some great workshops there. It's not as glamorous and not as internationally well known as Naples, but it, it that's showing in the value because you know, we, we, we couldn't do it. Too. We couldn't I couldn't I from what I've done and what I've learned, uh for for quality craftsmanship, it's fantastic. And the wine is amazing. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: The wine is and just you're, you're still special, in the man.
1: south of Italy, so you get amazing food, amazing wine, and oh, no, uh, you can't uh, complain about good wine. Way cleaner than Naples. Uh, you don't feel like you're about to get robbed every five <laughs> seconds.
2: No, Puglia is very industri- uh, Puglia is very uh, agricultural. Um, very humble food. Lots of the uh, white city. It, yeah, it's beautiful. It's loco rotondo. Now I have a I have a deep affection for Puglia, and but our taste is very you know the, the, they make they're my manufacturer, and I suppose I have not formed my taste. But my point of view is still very much London and Savile Row. So it's London and Savile Row taste that's where i work and how i where i live but with the italian manufacturing
0: well that's interesting because it leads into our next question right and we you're a british guy you do manufacturing Mm -hmm. in italy but from a tailoring perspective which style of tailoring do you prefer british italian or american
2: well there is only one style of tailoring you've got british and americans and italians have (laughs) copied it
0: pretty clean cut answer right (laughs)
2: completely Completely. i'm not saying i haven't taken that but there it it was uh if you look at if you're looking at the suit as a modern garment which came into fashion late 19th century it was an anglo-french production i think the the french have a slight claim to it i mean the word suit is certainly a french word so we've got to give them that credit for that but the modern lounge suit was uh was british so Anything which came from, I mean, America has a big, uh, Be fair to America, America's had a, a bigger influence in it than than we than probably give it credit for. If you look at things like the pleated trouser, the Duke of Windsor had his trousers made in uh, New York because he wanted to pleat his style, and his Savarote only, only did a flat front, so... And front, and front creases, we always know, if you went to a tailor and you wanted front creases, front creases on trousers came from America, whereas we were still, we were still side creases. So I think from a trouser point of view, I think America has been very influential. Um, but again, always for a British influence, it would have been British influence. See,
1: only Dana has the video now and I can see his smirk so hard. from. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> i love i love i love american taste I, I think our big our biggest customer for kit blake after the uk is uh new york and chicago i mean a few so we, we we people there's definitely it's not as not not like it used to be not like it used to be uh, there isn't that, but there is still a a love affair for English tailoring in America. Also. But the Italians are are far better, are far better. Their brands are far better, well known than ours are in in a short time. So uh, no, I love, I love. I also I put French in. there, I love. I mean, Chiffonelli, oh, stunning, stunning, hmm. stunning, stunning, absolutely absolutely stunning. So yeah. yeah so I yeah. like I like, and then yeah, and then some of um. So again i've never been to japan but i see it on instagram i see some of the work some of the japanese tailoring and it's just exquisite very meticulous attention yes, very to meticulous detail. very good attention so i and i i like all of them and I also think what about korean have, have
1: you ever ever seen korean tailors
2: i have not seen korean tailoring i grew up uh, as a, uh in my 20s in an area called new malden <laughs> which is known as like little korea so i'm i'm familiar with the food <laughs> um, but um, not not the tailoring. I'm sure. I'm sure it's very. No, There's a huge tailoring sure. scene over there. There's a huge.
1: I'm sure. Scene. I made, I'm sure is.
2: made a I made a
1: yeah, suit in quite, Korea quite a from a guy who's four foot now. tall.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. No, 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 no. So I think I, again, I think. Um, but no, I, I like all stars of tailoring, and, and I like to mix it up a bit as well. I mean, I, I, I but I, I do find it quite funny when you hear about bush's oh, British tailoring. You know, the 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 answer you see on the internet is that. British tailoring is very heavy-shouldered and rope-shouldered, and it comes yeah, from military backgrounds. So and, Italian, Ata- and Italian tailoring is very light and soft. And think, okay, okay, but then you look at books in the 80s, and it talks about Italian tailoring being uh, very built-up shoulders. And, and the British have been making unstructured tailoring for as long as they've been making tailoring. If you look at school blazers from the, from the 20s, they weren't fully structured, they were unstructured. I, think I suppose, like, Italian, if people ah.
1: see an Edward Saxon suit, they're going to think that's very structured, but then oh, no. you really oh, hold okay. it, it's really light.
2: Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, completely. And again, the idea that structured tailoring is uncomfortable, not at all. I mean, my most comfortable garment I've got is a fully structured 200 gram seersucker but I had it made structured because it sits away from the body. So the idea of structuring is English, it, it, and unstructured is Italian, is, 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 is not true. Italians do some lovely structured tailoring, the British. What the Bushes always, always did wrong is we never refined our unstructured tailoring. Our, un, our unstructured tailoring was always a bit clumsy and a bit doesn't fit too well. Because it's a weekend throw-on jacket. What the Italians did is they refined it. They took something like they have with a lot of clothing, like a denim shirt or preppy style. They take something which is quite utilitarian and then refine it. And that's what they did with unstructured tailoring. They, they made it a bit more form-fitting and they put shape into it. Whereas our unstructured tailoring was a little bit like a sack. That's there, so I, I like I like I like all saving, but obviously my heart is in London.
0: Yeah, C- clearly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, now, hey, Dana,
1: don't don't push it, don't push it. He said nice things about Americans, so American,
2: take, take it
0: as it's given. No, no, you know, know this know. is the nice thing about. It. There's no right or wrong
2: answer to that. It's what he I likes not most. Oh no, it's all. I all. But, again, but I think from per bosa, I think if, I remember when I first went to New York, uh, two thousand and I went to, was it I went to Paul Stewart and I was seeing bushish clothes you couldn't get in England. So I was seeing the most amazing English made shoes by companies I was aware of, but made to a nice and higher spec. So I think, and people what Brooks Brothers have done, I mean, it's not the, I'm not done Brooks Brothers now, but Brooks Brothers back in the day, they used to have the most amazing bushish clothes but made for the American market, far better than they're making domestically. In the same way that the best English clothes I ever saw in the in the nineties was in was in Paris. You know, you'd have to go to Paris to find the best English shoes. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm very international. I mean, I mean, you can tell by my surname. I don't have a traditional English surname, um, but I'm very much a Londoner and I'm very much an Englishman. But I love international style, and I've never say English is better than American or that. I just I think I like mixing it up. You know. It comes out really good fun. Right? It's, it's what you like. Yeah, it does, but, but also I have more than one. I mean, I, I have in my wardrobe, I have a, a, a very much a Sexton influenced rope shouldered tweed jacket. I've also got like unstructured Neapolitan tailoring, and I've got, I still wear flat front trousers. I've still got pleats, and I like mixing it up. I like loafers, I like Chelsea boots. You know, you shouldn't have to just only wear structured tailoring. You should, you should, you should try different things. Absolutely. Part of the journey.
1: Let's see what
2: suits you. And, 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 what, and what suits your mood?
1: Yeah, as mm. uh, suits so your mood. Yeah, that's that's better yeah. Way to put it. yeah. Exactly.
2: I mean, I think I think it's like people get told early on by a shop assistant, or you you, you can't wear double breasted, and then thirty years later they're still telling it. Oh well, the guy told you that thirty years ago because he never had one in stock for you. He was just trying to sell you something. But I know so many guys in their fifties that still say, oh, "I can't wear loafers. Why not?" Well, I've got a high instep. you were being sold to by a shop assistant on commission. You've, you've never you've, you've taken that on in your early twenties you've never challenged it. So yeah. the idea that i can't wear unstructured so there's no one double that cannot breasts. wear
1: double-breasted jacket oh, it's, no, oh, it's the, made for everybody as well as
2: three-year-old two Oh, i get about pleated trousers now the things that the guys are saying about pleated trousers exactly what we said about flat fronts oh you've got to be tall you've got to be slim you've got to be young i remember when the when the flat front starts to get commercial, of so about 2008 Oh, we can't they're not commercial we can't do it and they're saying exactly the same thing about pleats you know, there's a double breasted for everyone, there's a pleat for everyone. Yeah, you, it, it, it can be done. You need to. You, you don't don't narrow. You don't narrow your mind. Absolutely. And try different things. Try new things. Try things. Different things. Completely, yeah. completely. Apart from skinny trousers, yeah, don't don't stay with. Me. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, a, I say that don't wear skinny trousers. If you're seventeen, in a, you know. If you're seventeen, in a, in a uh, boy you should a
1: band, be a sartorial life coach like the Tony Robbins <laughs> of, of uh, sartorialism. Try if your bleedy 17... trousers, try yeah. your double-breasted, yeah, try exactly. everything, except Does for it? fucking skinny jeans. <laughs>
2: but even then, even then, if you're 17 and it's 2012 and you're, gonna, you're in a boy band, which is you know, absolutely fine, but are you in a boy band? Are you 17? Have you just signed a multi-million pound record deal? No, buy a pair of trousers. <laughs> absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> is there anyone that you look up to from a, a style perspective? Uh, uh, obviously people yeah at the moment again I've, I spend a lot of time on Pinterest doing mood boards and talking to suppliers so at the moment I'm, I keep going back The two people I keep going back to and looking at the style I just think are so fresh Charlie Watts the drummer of the Rolling Stones now he wears the most beauty, he goes to his I think he's Taylor's Chiselborough and Morgan who are an amazing bespoke tailor on Savile Row but he always looks so comfortable in his clothes and he, he has a certain enjoyment about them um, but also, he wears a t-shirt so well. And I think that's a mate, when he takes the drums with the stones, he wears like a Navy crew neck t-shirt. I've never seen a Navy crew neck t-shirt look so elegant. And it's that, uh, so I'm really into Charlie Watts' style. Really love his style. I think it's an enjoyment of it. it, it the fact he loves he is so elegant.
1: I did not like now when you say Rolling Stones drummer. Uh, I, I just googled this and yeah uh, yeah oh, yeah. It's,
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: it's so yeah. unexpected. He looks like Sir David Attenborough's slimmer version, oh, no. but then like, it was so elegant. Uh, I thought, it, yeah,
2: he's no, and again he's not. You know, he's a he's a very slim guy, very slim. Mm. Uh, but he's—he—he—you he wouldn't say he looks like a model, he's, no. He's—he's he's got a very good looking, He's a handsome guy, but he's not naturally sort of like a, 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 hes not David Gandhi, he's not a, a, a Johannes Hubble. but he always looks so elegant, and he just loves his clothes, and he always looks so comfortable. He always looks so comfortable, and I love—and he loves his collar pins. But again, it was just when you look at someone like a lot, but then you look at, then, then I happen to notice the photograph of him drumming in a, a navy T-shirt. I went, "You still look elegant." And that's yeah. really inspired Very me. Very
1: clean look about him.
2: The elegance can just be a navy, a, a beautiful, well fitting navy crew t shirt. is it can be the most elegant thing you can wear. And, that, and again, so I'm really to Charles. And the other guy, also in the music industry, is uh, Andre 3000, the guy from oh, Outcast. Yeah, from Outcast. Ah, again, a lot of the stuff he he had his own. Uh, a lot of stuff we're seeing at the moment. You have different been...
0: layers
1: to yourself, Chris. <laughs> I did not expect you to break under no. 3,000. Oh, fantastic.
2: Uh, <laughs> he, has a, he has a real, again, how he dresses, how he puts his looks together, he is very informed. And again, he really enjoys his clothes. And I think that's something I always like about someone. Someone You can tell someone who loves their clothes and dresses themselves, rather than someone who's been told to wear something, or who wears it because he can afford what he like, what he's buying. His life. He really loves his clothes. And he or how he dresses now, how he is dressing, Oh, going back 10, 12 years with like the polo shirts and the Chelsea boots, looks so on trend now. He was like 10 years too early that, that, that look. Uh, some of the polo shirts that Rowing blazers are doing at the moment, that sort of like 1930s retro sportswear. He was all over that. He was wearing cricket sweaters and bow ties and, and pleated trousers and collar bars. He's, he's, and he's just got such a lucky style about him. But he just enjoys it. And I believe how he's the I can creative
0: tell- director now
2: for uh, Trenton. Is he? Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to do. It. I have to. But I'm a big, big fan of his. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, obviously, all the classic movie stars. I love Red Astaire, Cary Grant. But the moment those two people in particular seem to be the ones that excite me the most. And then in real life, uh, my father always, always dressed well. He was he, he wasn't a suit and tie man. He was a, he was a, a taxi, a, a London black cab driver. But he always was well-groomed and he always looked smart. Whatever he was wearing, he always looked smart. He still does look smart. He never he never let it go. He never got to that stage in life where it became too much an effort. He always was nice. well-groomed and, well, and wore clean clothes and polished shoes.
0: Fantastic.
2: So, yeah. Is there
0: anyone, like, new in the menswear game that, that excites you? Oh,
2: I do I, I do like some of the – I think the, the, the generation coming up – I mean – I think some of the 20-somethings are really exciting. I love it. I, I, I think there's a real scene to it. I mean, I, I hate millennial bashing. I won't do it. Um, no, I, 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 I think the guy's are Ango Italian. I think what Jake does oh, down at Ango cool. Italian is, cool. is, is a really, really huge amount of respect for what he's doing. The, DB, he's the
1: DB with the beginning uh, looking like a shawl lapel and then yeah, up being, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's very that cool.
2: That super curve at the at the at the, uh, at the bus thing that goes super straight at the top, so yeah, it's really of... Cool. I love that because we get that, but for most people, it work. I like clothes that work on different levels. So from the menswear nerds, we can say, back that's that's Jake, to the poet, for that super curve and super straight." But if he went into a a normal pub in London, he's a guy in a nice suit. No one's going to pick up on that. So I love clothes that have got those different levels. I, I love I love that diff, those different layers to it. No one's only people. So people, you know, you can, I, I love it when you can put together an outfit and it's really super subtle and then you're just a guy in a blue suit and you can walk along. People, I think you're smart, but you can't, and then, you're, then someone says to me, I love your pocket, that pocket, that's really cool. Or, or how, you've, how your button configuration on the cuff is really different. So it works on different levels. You're sort of communicating to people that love their clothes, but for everyone else, you're just, you're not sticking out too much. That's a really lovely fine line to, to, to find. I often go over the top and go, and go too dandy. <laughs> but when I weigh myself in, that's my aspiration. No,
1: no, I, I feel like we just started the show. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's going great, man. I, I'll tell you like all your answers are so very unique from all the 30 interviews that you have done so far. So uh, really kudos fantastic. to you on that one. Yeah, absolutely. And, okay, uh, fantastic. You know, like the part of the reason why we do the show is to learn ourselves. Yeah. And, okay. and to 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 get new information and and learn more from people that we are oh no, but yeah, with, yeah people you ha- we look up to,
2: you know. Yeah. But you have to, you have to keep always keep learning. I mean, I remember when I first started working with Edward Sexton. How old was I? How old was I? He's 39. a really cool guy. Eh? He's oh, a cool
1: guy himself as well. Oh no, no,
2: the best. Uh, I mean, I left. First Eden day Waves. I met
1: him, I was like, "Holy okay. shit, this guy's so real."
2: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh no, no. Oh no, completely, completely real. I an mean, Amazing guy. But I remember I met him. I was thirty-nine. I'd been head of buying at Ch- uh, Edin shop for a decade, so I was kind of like. You think at first, you know. I think I'm, I'm kind of old I'm established. I've, I, I'm now head of buying at Chester Barry, and basically everything I knew about tailoring was wrong. I had to start again, and I didn't mind. It was really good. It was really, it was it was a difficult six months to a year where I had to try and inform my. I had to sort of look at suits differently. But that was just working with Edwards. Um, so yeah, you have to keep learning, and the, but also the way he just. Way he puts himself together he's got such such elegance such in, innate elegance and such, such but what I what really I admire, admire about him is as well as being a great stylist technically he's amazing it's very hard sometimes to make something technically brilliant and beautiful yeah you can do beautiful if sometimes you break the rules and don't, it doesn't fit quite well but hey it looks fantastic or you can make something and I, I think I, I think a lot of bespoke tailors make a great perfectly fitting suit but I actually like it. I know it fits really well, but I don't think it, I don't particularly like it. it doesn't excite me because it's. Uh, but technically, it's perfect. And he does both. And that's uh, that's his genius. I think, and he's, and, he, and the way he can. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's amazing. Nice. So, how formal
0: do you think a man should be on a daily basis? Informal. Informal.
2: I don't. I I don't believe in formal, but I think I, I'm a big believer in informal elegance. Yeah. I don't think we should. Informal elegance is my absolute key at the moment. So I, I, I'm wearing at the moment a, a Navy crew T-shirt and some gray flannel trousers and loafers. It, you don't need to be formal to be smart. And I think that's at, where...
1: At 5 a.m. in the morning, so yeah. that's pretty formal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: also, we funny. aren't
1: wearing pants, so uh, we can't say I, I get
2: I get really frustrated by the... I mean, obviously, being COVID, so things are different. But when you go to the financial district of London, I get very upset because I get, upset. I get. I look around and I see guys in their forties wearing a bad blue suit and a white shirt and no tie, and it's just thinks, and, and the bat and like the light brown shoes, and it's like this light new city. Shoes. The light yeah. brown shoe, the dark blue, the bright blue suit, the white shirt, no tie, and it's like the new city uniform. And I'm thinking, well, I could wear I could wear a t-shirt, flannels, and loafers, and look smarter than you, but I'm less formal, so I think. Being formal doesn't make you smarter. You're just wearing you're wearing more formal clothes, but unless you're well groomed, and that's where I am at the moment, I think it's about you don't need to dress in a three piece suit and double cuff and cufflinks to look elegant. You can you can get a great pair of flannel trousers, some beautiful suede loafers, and a and a, a great fitting navy crew sh- crew neck t shirt or sweater, and still be elegant, but you're informal. And I think that's what that's what that's where I'm excited about menswear at the moment. You don't nice. need to dress in. But saying that, sometimes I'll wear double-breasted waistcoat and slips and starch colours because that's I'm I still in that mood. But on a daily basis, I always want to be smarter. And I think, this is where the English the English guy gets it wrong, is that just because you're wearing casual clothing, you still need to be as well-groomed as if you're wearing a suit. So still pay attention to how you're put together. Put together your casual outfit with a little bit more care. And if you've got the right things in your wardrobe, it doesn't become too difficult. So I don't think we should become more formal. Um, but yeah, but I've always, I've, I've always had trouble where I've, wherever I've worked and how I've dressed because I'm always willing to, I'm always breaking dress codes. When I was a bank clerk, I used to wear jackets and trousers rather than a suit. And the manager says to me, you can't do that. You don't have to wear a jacket to work. If you do wear a jacket, you have to match your trousers. What? It doesn't make any sense. So I could wear, I could turn up in a denim jacket and take it off in the, at the door. But if I'm wearing a matching, but if I'm wearing a blazer which goes with my charcoal flannel trousers, that's not smart enough. And I just found that really peculiar that formality and elegance don't go hand in hand, don't always go hand in hand. You could wear a, you could wear, a, you could have a badly fitting dinner suit and I'd have, I'd pick Charlie Watson, the t shirt being more elegant every time.
0: I, I think that's a fantastic approach to it. The in. Formal elegance. Informal
2: elegance, yeah. And, and Informal elegance. You know,
0: focusing on elegance over formality, I think that's, that's
2: really yeah. brilliant. Yeah, exactly. And like, also, I mean, not everyone can do it. But I, I, can, I can even describe jeans as elegant. I've seen, I, I remember the first time I saw Peter Adams in jeans. He was my mentor of BBC. And he had on most, uh, a pair of straight leg denims, some dark. With a, with a proper guards officer, navy double breasted blazer and brown suede chucker boots. And it was and a, and an open neck German street shirt, blue bengal. And he looked so, so elegant and so comfortable in his skin. And, I, and and it's not about formality, but he just wore it with so much style and so much confidence. And he looked so well put together. He didn't look like he'd worn jeans because they were on the floor. <laughs> And he couldn't be bothered to think about it it looked considered and looked elegant so i think there can be elegance in anything you wear.
0: nice yeah that's what so that, that's, that's a I great way to think about it i think that's it's one of my uh, daily meditations for this week is to think about elegance <laughs> over formality
2: elegance over formality yeah i think formality i think it, it, it's where the british is where we as like I, I i say I'm, I'm i can be critical of the british because i'm english is we get it wrong as we 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 pick formality over elegance, and we have always people in you have you, know, the, you have to wear a suit for work because if you wear a suit and a if you wear a dark suit and a white shirt, you always be smart. Well, actually, no, I don't think you will. It's uh, it, it's it's it's, beg- it's bigger it's than that.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, last question we have on the, this list of ten: if you if you had a time machine and you could give one piece of advice, one piece of style advice to your younger oh. self, what would it be?
2: Oh, don't wear the white socks. What's that? Don't, Ever? <laughs> don't wear white socks. I went. Through, <laughs> I, I guess. I guess I remember when I was how old was I? Thirteen, uh, and I and I I, I I was very much into wearing white socks because that was kind of cool. Um, so, so yeah, and I probably I, I yeah, don't wear white socks. Don't wear white socks.
0: Don't
2: wear. I played Michael Jackson. I was a huge Michael Jackson. When I was a... Or when did, when Off the Wall album came out in 78, 79 massive song I loved that album. I was like playing it to death. And he wore on the front cover, he on the on the on the gatefold cover, he's got his dinner suit on and then white socks. So I thought I've got he's cool. I want to wear white socks like Michael Jackson. Except you don't look like Michael Jackson. Are you? You're you're a twelve year old kid from the suburbs in, a, in 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 bad white socks, and you're not my. No one's looking. at Hey, it's Michael Jackson. So yeah, don't don't. Don't wear white socks would be my advice to myself. How long did you wear them for? Oh, no, I got I, I got I got rid of them quite young. I got rid of them probably by the age of, I probably grew out of it by the time I was 13.
0: Okay, so they had a year in rotation.
2: I'd say about from the ages of 9 to 13, I probably had a little bit of a white sock fancy. And then I sort of grew, I kind of grew out of it. But when I started work when I was 18, in the late 80s, a lot of the younger guys were still wearing white socks with their suits. It would seem as a bit a bit cool. So, uh, yeah, don't don't wear white socks is the only bill. Other than that, I've taken my mistakes. It's, it's all part of the learning. It's all part of the fun of trying different things.
0: White socks, definitely no-go. I'm going to say, that yeah, don't wear white socks. All
1: I was, I was like, hoping for some Thailand stories about the mistakes. <laughs> <in my life. laughs>
2: no, God, no, God no.
0: There's a different definitely. type of sock, Jay. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, no regrets for that. eh? <laughs> no, well, no, Chris, very good, very good, man. Chris, you wanna, thank you so thank much you for this taking the time very... to,
0: to come by and talk to us. No,
2: no, it's been really, really good fun. I've enjoyed chatting with you, and uh, yeah, cool,
1: like All good, proper chatting with a menswear critique. So yeah. much
0: we have learned today. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, no, re- I... really good interview. Yeah, it's been a great episode, Fantastic. Chris. Thank interview. you so
2: much, everyone. Uh, Chris, where can people find you? Online, we've got uh, – our collection is available uh, on The Rake okay. uh, Atelier, and we also have our own website, joining soon, which would be kitsblake.com. Kits Blake we'll, we'll, Blake. We'll just Google – Kitsblake is our label, so just Google Kit Blake and trousers and you'll find us.
0: Fantastic.
2: And on Inst- Instagram, the usual stuff. You know, we're, we're easy to find.
0: Great. Guys, all of that will be in the show notes, so you'll be able to check that out. And until next time, Stay dapper, stay dapper, stay villainous.